fighting the Christmas letdown, fighting the Christmas letdown. And um, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 11. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 11. And the thing about the new covenant that I hope I've made clear during the the season of December and Christmas, um, the thing I want us to remember is that there are no feasts, there are no special days in the new covenant. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, the Christmas letdown that some of us feel, if you, if you want to think about it in the sense of there's a difference between living for the moment and living in the moment. When you live for the moment, whenever the moment passes, there's a letdown. But when you learn to live in the moment, there's never a letdown. That's the reason there are no feasts or special days. Sunday is not a special day in the new covenant. It's just the day we've chosen to come together in our schedules and worship God. That's the only thing that makes it special. So we don't look forward to Sunday or we don't live for Sunday. We live in Sunday. And here's the thing. The way that we live on Sunday should be the way that we're living Monday through Saturday. Because that's the point of the new covenant. The point of the new covenant isn't a roller coaster of up and downs. It's an incline. We're just up, 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 up. And it has nothing to do with our emotions. It has everything to do with our faith. Yeah, you're not going to be on an emotional high every day of the week. But you live by faith, not by what you feel. And so the Christmas letdown comes into our lives because we've allowed it to. I wanted to wear my Christmas suit for today, but I, I just, I couldn't because the word I feel like God wants me to share today is such a, a somber word, uh, but it's such a life-giving word, but I just felt like I couldn't trivialize it by wearing the Christmas suit. I know, isn't that crazy that I couldn't trivialize this word? Because it's such a powerful word. It's a word that he's working into my life and into my heart uh, in a way that uh, he did before, but he's, it's like it's being renewed. And but before we get into that, I want to just share a few things with you about 2019 as a church. Um, God has put up on my heart a theme for our church this year. It's not a new theme. It's just we're going to renew that theme of loving him, loving God, and loving people intentionally. Because here's the thing. We say it. We put it on the wall. We memorize scriptures about it. But we need to actually start doing it in our daily lives. We need to start intentionally loving God and loving People. And we're going to begin our year with a week of fasting and prayer, January 2nd through 8th. Um, don't come and check out House of Prayer. Come and pray with us. Come and seek God with us. Let's seek his face together. It really isn't a time that you're going to enjoy. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to tell you like it is because we try so hard to make it an enjoy. Oh, let's do something to make prayer more fun. It's not fun. It's work. It's battle. It's hard. Okay, but it's necessary and it produces results. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces results. It's in the scripture. It doesn't say the fun prayer, the enjoyable prayer, the time that you have in your schedule for prayer. It says prayer. And so if you don't carve out time, you won't come. And if you don't believe prayer is effective and powerful, you won't come. And so don't come thinking it's going to be a good time. It really isn't unless you come thinking we're going to do battle, then you'll enjoy it. If you're like Mark and you just love battle, then you'll have fun. But if you're not, it's important that you come. But I don't, when I heard that, I just thought, well, let's make sure people understand what they're coming to. And then we're going to go into 40 days of prayer for our South Dakota legislator. I 
I can't even believe what has happened over the the last year of my life. Uh, When I got to the place last September where I just said, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, no matter what. Okay, now you would think that that's how I lived all my life. I thought that's how I had lived all my life, but I really came to find that's not really how I live. And now uh, here's the thing. When you start just doing what God asks you to do, sometimes people don't like that. And it's not fun. If you think any part of the last year of my life has been a good time and that I've enjoyed, uh, it's not fun. It's hard. And it's really hard when people you care about actually turn against you because you are trying to follow the Lord. It's not fun. When Jesus said, if you come after me, you have to let your family be second. Some of you, if you follow the Lord, your family is going to hate you. I mean, it happens all over the world. People's families literally turn against them. But here in America, we're always like, well, Lord, you know, you certainly don't want us to, you know, uh, do anything that's going to make our lives uncomfortable, even though through persecution, we enter the kingdom, tribulation. And so this idea of what's happening in our lives, I got a little bit off track. Uh, I am excited. Uh, Bob Glanzer, one of our representatives, is taking the book Draw the Circle with him to the South Dakota legislator, and he bought copies for South Dakota legislators, and he's inviting them to get together as often as they can while they meet, and they're going to pray together. And so there's new schedules out there. Some of you already have the book from the last time. We're going to pray with them. We're going to read with them. There's a prayer meeting that takes place every morning from 815 to 855 at James Valley Christian school, come. I mean, it has been exciting for me to pray with people from other churches and people that go to churches that I thought, you know, were, let's just say it, don't be offended, um, maybe not as spiritual as us, have shocked me with the faith they pray with. And it has been enjoyable and uh, it has not always been fun and it has not always been easy to carve 40 minutes out of my schedule. Uh, But we also pray for James Valley. So if you don't like James Valley, then you don't want to come to that prayer meeting. But I'm hoping prayer meetings pop up everywhere and that we join together and begin to pray for our South Dakota legislator that's going to meet for 40 days this year. Last year, the session was 38 days. Ironically, this year, it's 40 days. Either ironically or the Lord set that up. I don't know. Uh, But we're also going to talk this year about loving the lost. We're going to talk about loving the body of Christ, being unoffendable in our lives. We're going to study what it means to be unoffendable. You and I need to become unoffendable. And we're going to learn to just be intentional to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives. I believe that God put this vision of restoration back in 2017. He put it in my heart. And I believe he's been a part of this process. I believe he's been a part of the process teaching me how to be a leader. Unfortunately for you, that means that that I make mistakes when I try to lead because I'm growing in how to be a leader. And so you need to have grace with me as I learn and grow in that because I'm not always going to do it right. And I've learned a lot of things about what to do when you stand before the city commission and what you don't do when you stand before the city commission. But I have been amazed. I can't tell you when I stood in the room at Huron Rising when they released the report and that 70 of the leaders of our community began to voice what they saw as the greatest need in our city was what God put in our hearts for this city. I mean, when that came in, right after our vote in October, as I sat there, I was stunned. I don't know why I was stunned. Maybe because I just had never seen God act in that way before. And you say, well, but if God was really in it, why did it get voted down? Well, here's what I've learned about God. His timing is perfect. 
And we still have the support of the, the Huron advisor or the Huron uh, leadership board, and they've signed a document that we're going to take in March when we reapply for the variance. And we need to continue to pray because God is doing something in our lives. But you have to be choosing to connect. Here's the thing. We are leading Restoration Church where God wants it to go, and we're going to vote on things as a body to sense his direction, and then we're going to go there. And so we want you to be connected, and we do everything we can, like websites and things to try to connect you. But here's the thing. You have to choose to be connected to what's going on. How many of you get the text messages and you read them, and how many of you just dismiss them? How many of you were shocked to find that you couldn't pull in on 10th Street today? So here's the thing, I'm trying to communicate with you, but if there's something you don't know, you've got to ask, and you've got to come, and you've got to be connected. It's got to be your responsibility. One of the words that God put on my heart, uh, that he basically, through several different people, told us he wanted us to be debt-free. You remember that? Now, either it was the first missionary that brought it up, either he had bad pizza or the Lord spoke. Okay, those are the only two options, okay? Either he did it in the flesh or the Lord spoke. I felt like the Lord spoke and I felt like we didn't respond. That it was like, oh yeah, the Lord wants us to be debt free. Hope it happens. How many of us have daily prayed for that to happen? Then the Lord put it on my heart to challenge you all, as a body, to bring something every week and put it in the basket intentionally. And if you don't have a lot of money, bring a dollar, bring a quarter. And here's the thing. In our society today, most of us, we really don't carry cash. We don't carry the checkbook. Uh, all we got is a card. So, uh, I, you know, but here's what God wants us to learn. Be intentional. Be connected. See, you have to intentionally think before you come on Sunday, i got to put money in my pocket to take and connect. It has nothing to do with the basket. God could get us debt-free just like that, but he wants us to be engaged in the process with him. That's what I feel like he put on my heart. Now, here's the thing. Either I'm crazy or God said that. Either he wants us to learn something as a body or he doesn't. And that's what we have to do. And this next year, 2019, this isn't even the sermon yet. So for those of you that are a little uncomfortable with what I'm sharing, uh, I'm sorry. But in 2019, God wants us to be intentional. We have to be intentional. What we say with our mouths and what we live with our lives have got to start matching all the time. And he wants us to be specific. And in this year ahead, I believe God is setting us up as a church for what's coming, not just what is. I don't want to be a church that just responds to the culture in the moment. I want to be spirit-led so that when, when the culture starts happening around us, we're already ready to meet it because we went there first. Sort of like, you know, when Huron Rising comes, we were already there because God took us there. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of God I see in this book. And that's what I want us to be. And we're going to need to lean into him and we're going to need to lean into each other if that's going to happen. So Isaiah chapter 11. We're fighting the Christmas letdown today. And there really shouldn't be a letdown because the light of the world, Jesus coming into the world, radically altered what life should be like. It radically altered what life should be like. It shouldn't just be a, a, an easier version of the old covenant. It's a totally new radical covenant. And in Isaiah chapter 11, another prophecy concerning the Messiah is put here. And it says this, a shoot, Jesus, will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. I don't got a problem with that. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord rested on Jesus. You got a problem with that? I don't have a problem with that. That's true. I believe it. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. I'm good with that, right? You're good with that? I mean, Jesus obviously had the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. We see it. I mean, Jesus, he wowed people. He had power. I mean, definitely rested on him. The spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. Yeah, he's the only one who's seen the Father. He's come to make him known. I get that. What I don't get is why the spirit of the fear of the Lord rested on him. I mean, after all, he is the Lord. Why does he need the spirit of the fear of the Lord? to rest upon him, maybe because he's our example, maybe there's something we need to learn in that. But look at this next part. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. And you know how Jesus said that all the time? I don't do, I do what I see the Father doing. I don't do what my physical eyes see. I do what I see the Father doing. I listen to the leading of his spirit. This spirit of the fear of the Lord is so important, but it's something that's lacking in our lives, especially in the American church today. I've got a handout, and I've got some helpers that are going to come, and they're going to give you this handout. And the reason I have a handout is because I have more sermon than I can cover in the next few moments. And so I'm going to give it to you. And here's the thing. It's a homework assignment. You need to take it home because there's stuff in there. There's scripture verses in there that I'm not going to give you today. And the only way you're going to get them in their totality is if you actually, this week, open the Bible yourself and you start digging into it because you can't live off of what I give you in this room in 25 or 30, yeah, let's be honest, in 40 minutes on Sunday morning, okay, you can't live off of that. You've got to learn to feed yourself also. And so I'm giving this to you, but here's the thing. It's optional homework. It's not going to be turned in for a grade. It's completely, totally up to you, um, but I'm putting it in your hands. And so this week of prayer that's coming up, I, I feel like the Lord wants us to to pray through and understand what it is to walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is actually everywhere in the scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. There are scripture after scripture, not even just the ones I put on that page. There are scripture after scripture after scripture of the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 6, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, the fear of the Lord is not about being afraid of God. It's not about distancing ourselves from him because we're afraid. If we're afraid of heights, this is what, I mean, when we get up on a high place, we're, we're, we're back here. Okay, the fear of the Lord is actually a pressing into him. Okay, I love that Mark said today that the fear of the Lord and seeking him are, the, are synonyms. It really is. And yes, it's like an awe and it's a reverence, and, but it's so big. And I, here's my problem. I don't even know if I can fully explain it to you. I, it's almost like the fear of the Lord has to be experienced. It's a, a fuller revelation of who God is. I believe the fear of the Lord is an invitation. <laughs> It's funny because last week was an invitation too, wasn't it? To come and to know the Christ of Christmas and to have a fuller Christmas. And now I want you to not just have a fuller Christmas. I want you to have a fuller 365 days. 
But we've got to learn to walk in the fear of the Lord. There's so many benefits in the scripture. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The, the beginning of wisdom is in the fear of the Lord. Life, peace, joy, fullness for those who fear the Lord. Protection, provision, power, friendship with God. It's all wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Because this is kind of where the fear of the Lord uh, at least somewhat starts. It's actually before that because Abraham had it and all those people had it before him. But we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. And on your sheet, I've put like other scripture references longer than what I put on the screen. Because you've got to read the context to kind of get the whole meaning of what I'm going to say. And I'm just going to hit on a piece of it today. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. Okay, they've come out of Egypt. God's brought them to Mount Sinai. There's thunder, there's lightning, loud thunder, lightning, shaking the earth type of thunder and lightning. And they hear a trumpet. <laughs> like, huh? They hear a trumpet. The mountain is on, like, looks like it's on fire and they trembled, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us or we will die. Here's the thing. Moses probably felt the same emotion that they're feeling in this moment. Okay, because he's a people just like they're a people. I mean, you can't look at what's happening in the physical realm and not be afraid of it. But look at Moses' words to the people. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Don't be afraid, but fear him. See, the fear of the Lord shouldn't drive us away from him. It should drive us towards him. And too many of us want to stand at a distance. We don't really want to press into him. We're comfortable back here at a distance. You Pastor, you evangelist, you speaker, teacher, you go hear from the God and you speak to us and we'll listen. How many of you know that didn't work then and it doesn't work now? You say, then why am I here? <laughs> well, it, we do benefit from hearing from other people, but if you're not pressing into him, even what you hear from me won't matter. Because at the foot of the mountain, what we do when we don't press in to know God intimately, when we don't press in, we create a manageable God at the bottom of the mountain. Remember a couple chapters later, they created a calf, a golden calf. Don't miss the fact that that golden calf, they gave the name Jehovah to the calf. It was Jehovah who delivered them. I am God Almighty who delivered them from Egypt. He was just in the form of a calf. Because it made them comfortable. You know, it made, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. Here's the thing. When we fail to press in, we create a doctrine that eases our conscience. You know, that spiritual pressing in, really seeking God, that's just for a select few. That's just for people in ministry. That's just, that's not for today. That kind of experience, no, you can't live on an emotional high. No one's talking about an emotional high. We're talking about pressing in when you're at an emotional low. We're talking about responding to the revelation of God, not the feeling of God. And people who fear him press into him because they know who he is. And we can't create this God at the base of the mountain. Now, here's the kicker. The top of the mountain looks scary. There's thunder, lightning, all this stuff. It looks restrictive. It looks hard. I don't want to go there. I'm more comfortable down here. But do you know what Moses saw at the top of the mountain? 
the goodness of God. He had an encounter with the goodness of God that transformed his life. And you and I are trying to have the goodness of God and the the benefits of his presence without actually pressing into his presence. We want to see healing. We just don't want to be filled with the healer. And it doesn't work. This passage of scripture is alluded to twice in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, maybe more, but two that I put on your sheet. If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? In other words, Paul's saying, okay, the thunder, the the lightning, the glory of God on Moses' face, that was glorious, but the new covenant should even be more glorious because it's better. When one turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed and the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, not bondage. We all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Even more glory, one degree of glory to another. Why aren't we seeing this in our lives? And why are we content with anything less? Why have we created a doctrine at the base of the mountain that says, you know, just God loves you. He's excited about it. He is all those things. But he is a God who is worthy to be feared and pressed into. He has put a spirit in you that yearns for him. And yet so many of us are bored in worship services. We're disconnected. We're distracted by every movement It's kind of weird when you walk down the aisle and every eye turns to you. I mean, we're worshiping the God Almighty exalted over all the earth. At least close your eyes. Here's the thing. If you would would worship differently at the base of a mountain with thunder and lightning than you did in this room today, you lack the fear of the Lord. And that doesn't make you feel guilty. It doesn't make you a subpar believer because your salvation's based on him anyway. It's an invitation to draw near. Because like Mark said, the moment a note gets strung on a guitar, your hands should be up, your eyes should be closed, and your mouth should be declaring the praises of him who is exalted over all the earth. Even if you don't like the worship leader. Even if you don't like the song or the style. Make up your own song. Sing it to the Lord. And it shouldn't just happen here. We should be coming in the door worshiping. We should be so full of him that everywhere we go, he just flows out of us. Hebrews chapter 12. We've got a lot more to cover. I can't get bogged down. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. They heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible, they begged God to stop speaking. No. Here's the thing. That's the same God you and I serve. That's the same God that resides in us. He hasn't changed. Jesus just made it possible for him to live in you. And yet some of us, just like them, are begging God to stop speaking at least speaking the things we don't want to hear. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. 
For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us have grace and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. The scripture's clear that one day every eye will see him and everyone will declare that he is Lord. But just like he said to Thomas at the beginning of this service, that scripture, those that re respond to him when they see him with their physical eyes, it's too late. We need to respond to him from spiritual eyes. We need to respond to him. We need to live in a way that is like he is already booming. Whether I feel like he's booming or not, my response should be as if he is booming because that's who he is. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. See, God is Abba. I love that you brought up that scripture too. <laughs> he is your dad. He is Abba. He is personal. He is good. He is loving. But he is also a devouring fire. The love of God keeps us from legalism and dry, dead religion. It keeps it fresh. <laughs> but the fear of God is supposed to keep us from cheap grace and loose living. And loose living isn't people out there with sexual sins and all these other gross things. Loose living is people with loose lips that gossip and slander just as much. The fear of God. I mean, I, James says it so clearly. How can you worship God who's a consuming fire and slander someone in the same? There's no fear of God. And what that should do is not say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Well, you know what it should do? It should drive us to our knees to say, God, I need a greater sense of the fear of God in my life. I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to leave here today burdened by a sense of rules that you have to keep. But I do want you leaving here crying out to God for more fear in your life. To know his love and to know his fear. In Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3, God says, Those who draw near to me, by those who draw near to me, I must be regarded as holy. You've got to understand the word holy just means set apart. Okay? It doesn't, it's not a list of, of behaviors. I mean, that's what holiness has been dumbed down to in our lives. Holy means to be set apart. That means God, if you're going to come near to God, he has to be set apart. There's no one even close to him. We sang those words today, but we didn't act like it today. God, you're so holy. God, you're so holy. Ooh, Instagram. There's a lack of the fear of the Lord in our lives when we're bored and disconnected from corporate worship. And if you want to blame the people on the platform or the church that you attend, go ahead. Um, but you can worship him anywhere, anytime, with music or without music. When there's prayerlessness in our life, it's a sign of the lack of the fear of the Lord in our lives. When there's disrespect and disregard for authority, there is a lack of the fear of the Lord in our lives. 
when there is an acceptance of sin, no matter what kind of sin, when we excuse it and normalize it, there is a lack of the fear of the Lord in our lives. And here's the thing. The way to get the fear of the Lord is to draw near to him. And James says in James chapter 4, verse 8, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So you are as close to God today as you want to be. Because if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. The ball is in our court. And so I put on your list seven words that I want us to begin to pray over over these next few days, this next week as we pray together, that these things would grow in our lives. They're kind of like a double-edged sword. I actually got them from a book called Scary God by Maddie Montgomery. I have no idea who Maddie Montgomery is, but he, is, he was the lead singer of some heavy metal band for Jesus. <laughs> and so all I know is that uh, just like every other book I've read this year, it kind of comes to me in weird ways. And uh, the Lord spoke to me so much through this book, I got to go back and read it again. But in that book, one of the chapters, he gives us these seven words, and I adjusted them a little bit because I wanted them all to start with A. And so I took a little liberty. So if you buy the book and realize, Pastor, he didn't use all A's. I know that's all, all me because that's how my brain works. And so here, here's the thing. They're kind of a litmus test in our life to show us where we lack the fear of the Lord. And they're also things that we can do to cultivate the fear of the Lord in our lives. So they're both. Okay, so it's like a test and it's like a, the answer all at the same time. And so the first is acknowledge. The fear of the Lord begins to acknowledge him as holy, set apart, to worship him as God, to regard him as totally unique, always right, always in control. Here, here's the simple version. There is a God in heaven, and you're not him. Okay? He, you, you can never be him. You, his ways are beyond finding out. Okay, even though he reveals secrets to those who fear him, even though he's given us the spirit and the spirit reveals things from you, you still are created. So you can never be like him. You can never understand fully how his mind works. Because here's the thing, we say, we say it all the time. God doesn't mind your questions. Go ahead and question him. He doesn't mind it. <laughs> okay, go ahead and question him, but understand this, there may not be an answer to the question, and you still need to regard him as holy even with a question. Because if you want to come to him, you have to come to him even with a question and say, I trust you. I don't know the answer. I don't know why, but I trust you. I trust that you are good, even though I don't feel like you're good. Even though everything with my eyes and ears says you're not good, I trust that you're good. That's the fear of the Lord. You acknowledge him as always right, always just, never doing anything wrong. He is God. He's totally set apart from us. He is awesome in his splendor. We talk a lot about being a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. <laughs> Do you know how he became a friend of God? By being willing to sacrifice his son without the benefit of hindsight. And yet we think God would never ask us to inconvenience ourselves or take a job with less pay or move into a smaller house or do something that looks like a step backwards. God would never ask us to do that. Maybe the way back is the way up. Abraham did not know God was going to say stop. And that's how he became a friend of God. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls his, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. But do you know in John 15, 14, it's on your sheet. You are my friends 
if you do what I command. If you do what I command. Oh, I'm a friend of God. John Bevere defines the fear of the Lord this way. It's people who obey instantly, obey when it doesn't make sense, obey when it hurts, obey when they don't see a benefit, and obey all the way to completion. That's the fear of the Lord. The second word is availability. This means we say yes to him above everything else. This is the you will seek me and you will find me when you will search for me with all your heart. I'm not content to be at the base of the mountain anymore. I'm willing to stay longer, press farther, and dig deeper because the Bible says those who are truly hungry will be filled. Being available to God doesn't mean, hey, God, if you need me, give me a call. You know, shoot me a text. That's what available means to us. Available means I keep looking and saying, is there anything you need? Are you sure you don't need anything? Anything, what what do you need? What do you need? I keep looking to him. That's what it means to be available. It's about pressing in. It's about pursuing him. It's about being willing to throw off everything or turn off everything that hinders. Because he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, here's the danger. I know this is a danger. Well, pastor, are you saying you're more spiritual than me because you pray longer or you seek longer? No, it's not about being more spiritual. But God does say he rewards those who diligently seek him, and he is the exceedingly great reward. So if you spend five minutes, you know, in prayer in the morning with God, you're not going to be as close friends of him as someone who spends the entire day trying to engage with him. It's just, it's mind-boggling. That the church now thinks that, you know, because there's a counterfeit, that we have to run away from it entirely. There isn't. You don't have to run away from it entirely. You just have to fix it. There's a counterfeit holiness, yes. There's a counterfeit religion that says you're more holy because you pray and read your Bible and you're more holy than that person. No. It just means you know him better than that person. Number three anticipation. This is about looking for God opportunities. It's living in the anything could happen lifestyle. I don't know when you wake up in the morning, but you need to do this. If you don't remind yourself, anything could happen today. The Bible says God orders our steps. And so God put me here. So if where you are right now is an unhappy place, Instead of complaining about it, say, God, why do you have me here? What do you want me to learn from here? What do you want me to do here? What do you want me to say here? Instead of just complaining and griping and, you know, I did it this week. Oh, why do we live in South Dakota where it's so cold and it snows and you can't go anywhere? Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't use it as an opportunity to really just press into him. Wow. Wow. You mean we could have done that when we stayed at home? We could have just, instead of binging on Netflix, we could have like pressed into him? Can't wait for the next blizzard. (laughs) I really can. I was kidding. We'll seek you. Don't send another blizzard. We have to live life engaged. Instead of walking into something and saying, God, do you want me to say something? We need to start saying, God, what do you want me to say? Of course he wants you to say something. He put you there. Of course he wants you to do something he puts you there see here's the thing God's will for your life is not someday someday God's going to call me as a missionary overseas no God's will for your life is today 
And today, he might want you to take the long way home from work today because he's got something in store on the way home. I don't know. You've got to listen to his voice and respond to him. Jim Elliott is famous for saying, Lord, if you don't know who Jim Elliott, he gave his life on the mission field. You know, they killed him and he was trying to reach people for Jesus and that was what they did. But he said, don't let me be a milepost on the road of life. Let me be a fork in the road. In other words, everyone I encounter, don't let me just, don't let them pass me by. When they encounter me, let me be a fork where they have to make a decision in their life. Every morning, every worship gathering, every moment anticipating that God could do something. He wants to do something. Think of it. The next one, be attentive. We, this is about listening to God's direction. We pride ourselves in multitasking, don't we? I mean, I always have to have music in the background when I'm working. And really, the music just keeps me from being distracted by the, the talking. Because the, if I'm listening to music and you start talking, you're distracting me. Even if you're not talking to me. And I notice how irritated I get when people are talking, when I'm trying to work on something. And I have music and they just, I can't, tone, I can't shut everything out. And so in order to do it, that's what I do. But here's the, the definition of multitasking. You ready for this? Doing a bunch of things poorly at the same time. Because if you don't focus on something, no matter how much you want to rationalize it or try to say that you're multitasking, you're not. When you're texting and you're not listening. And we're in our culture, we don't, we're having conversations with people and we're doing this stuff. And we do it in worship. Oh God, I'm with you. And now... Here's the thing. Some people keep notes in their phone, so don't judge everyone who picks up their phone in worship. I do it all the time. I look in my Bible verses. I put notes that the Lord's revealing stuff to me. So don't judge a book by its cover. Okay, so if you picked up your phone today, we're not all looking at you like, mm, that was you. Okay, we understand that other things are used the phone too. So you just worry about you and let God worry about everyone else. But I am struck in the Bible by how often God does things that don't make sense. Think about it. Joshua, walk around the city seven days, seven times, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and then blow the trumpet and shout, and the walls will fall down. That doesn't make sense. Gideon, you've got 3,000 men, that's too 30,000 men, that's too many, you'll need to whittle it down to 300. And then I want you to put lamps in a jar and then break it, and then people are going to kill themselves. And yet, we think that now that Jesus died, God always is logical. God does everything logically. Really? Peter, we need the temple tax. Go fish. You'll, the first fish you catch, pull a coin out of its mouth and pay our tax. That's logical. What a coincidence. That fish must have eaten that while it was in the bottom of the lake. Peter's like, that's that one coin I dropped one time when I was fishing. I mean... We, don't get me wrong, we can be illogical and miss God, but if all we want to be is logical, we're going to miss him. David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, twice asked the Lord how to fight the Philistines. He should have just known. I mean, we think, well, I know the scripture, I know how I'm supposed to respond to this, but the fear of the Lord, maturity, is not getting to the place where we can act without seeking God, it's getting to the place where we never act without seeking God. 
It doesn't mean we have to call a three-hour prayer meeting when I have a decision to make, but it means I quiet myself before I let my mouth start talking and I say, God, what do you want me to do here? Because it looks like I'm supposed to say yes. Are you sure? Do you want me to say yes? But we think, well, once I've memorized the Bible and I've served the Lord for 50 years now, I know how he works and this is how he works and this is what we're going to do. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's your own convenience. In Acts chapter 8, Philip shut down a revival to go take a walk in the desert. That doesn't make sense. But we need to be attentive because God is always speaking. He speaks through our thoughts. He speaks through images. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're told, do not be ignorant about spiritual things. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Stop being ignorant about how he speaks because he's speaking to you all day long. If you're not hearing him, it's time for you to say, you know what, Lord? I lack the fear of the Lord in my life. I'm not attentive to you as I go through the day. I need to be attentive. The next day is authority. Submitting to the governance of God. Our culture increasingly rejects leadership and submission, but how we respond to earthly authority shows our level of trust in God. In Numbers chapter 16, there's a story of the sons of Korah, and the sons of Korah come to Moses and Aaron, and they say, you know what, you guys take too much on yourself. All of God's people are holy. Well, here's the thing. They were not incorrect. All God's people were holy, but there is an order that God establishes on the earth, and we know that because the ground opened up and swallowed the sons of Korah, and then the people were mad at Moses and Aaron as if in some way they made the ground open up and swallow those people. It's not like they had jackhammers and they made it happen. I mean, it just happened, and they're mad at them. doesn't make sense. And yet, in the scripture, we're told, Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. It doesn't say, children, roll your eyes at your mother and father. Talk under your breath. It doesn't say, <sighs> it doesn't say to do that. You know what that's a sign of? A fear of the Lord. A lack of the fear of the Lord in your life. That's what it's a sign of. I know more than my parents. I know more than the authority. I know more than my teacher. I know more than them. It doesn't matter if you know more than them. God obviously put them over you for a reason. And if you dishonor them, you dishonor him because he put them there. Romans chapter 13, let's not just pick on kids today. Romans chapter 13, submit to all governing authorities because all authority comes from God. Huh. Submit does not mean obey. So if a governing authority tells you to disobey God's word, you can't, but you can remain submitted even in disobedience because submitted has to do with your attitude. All authority comes from God. And when we rail against our leaders and when we criticize and condemn instead of pray for, instead of intercede for, it's a lack of the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders so that it will go well with you. Here's the thing. You, appoint, you elected me to serve as your pastor. You elected deacons to serve as spiritual authority in this church. And you believe that God appointed us to be your leaders. I can't make you submit to me. I, I don't even try anymore. I used to think I could do it. And now I've gotten to the point, even just recently, the Lord said, you know what? You can't make people respond. All you can do is prepare a place. So I'm not here today to try to make you respond. I'm here to say, here's an invitation to come to fear the Lord. And you get to choose whether to accept that or reject it. But Romans chapter 13 says, when we rebel against authority, it shows that we rebel against God. 
And I know today that we're like, well, authority has been so corrupt these days that we can't just submit to authority. King Saul, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nero, Herod. I mean, has authority really gotten more corrupt? No. We've just gotten more dismissive of God's word. God may speak to us through an earthly authority without even revealing it to us. In other words, children, he may speak to you through your parents, a word that you need to hear, but you don't want to hear because of the vessel it's coming through. The next day is abandoned. Luke 14, 25, Jesus says, if you don't give up everything to follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. If you don't give up your family, everything, everything. And we hide behind these words today. We hide behind, well, we, you know, sorry we missed church for like six weeks, but we had to have family time. Really? Family time? I hope in that family time you were like fasting, praying, seeking the Lord. That's real family time. Family time isn't fishing, hiking, playing sports. That's not family time. I mean, it is. You've got to do fun stuff together. But isn't it fun to seek the Lord together? To pray together? We use the word sanctification and we say, well, you know, God's really been dealing with me on that one. You know, give me a little time. and I'll... Let me ask you this. If you were standing at the foot of a mountain and there was lightning and thunder and it was shaking, would it be easier to deal with that sin in your life? See, we're supposed to deal with sin in our life as if the mountain is shaking. And so the fact that we're not, the fact that we're excusing it, shows that we've lost the fear of the Lord. We obey even when it doesn't make sense. As a pastor, it's my job to help you understand that, you know, tithing, you should tithe because it's really a benefit for you. It really will bless you. It really will help. Well, you should tithe because God said to do it and test me in it. And if you need more than that, okay. Number seven, sorry. The last one, alignment, and everyone's like, praise God, we're almost finished. We need to create an environment in our lives like heaven. We need to learn to live in the presence of God. In just a moment, we're going to close, and uh, I'm going to invite you, like I did last week, to come to spend some time at this altar and to be in his presence, not just in his presence today in this moment, but to learn to live in his presence. And living in his presence doesn't mean that you will always have this overwhelming sense of emotion, like your heart will pitter-patter, like, oh, God is in the room, I have goosebumps. It doesn't mean that. That's not what it means to live in his presence. Living in his presence means whether I feel him, sense him or not, I live the same. I live the same. All the time. Every, and I know some, some people are like, well, you know, that's what I strive for. But don't strive for it. Press into it. Press into it. Stop excusing it. Stop saying, well, you know, it's not possible. Just say, Holy Spirit, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We learn to align our lives with his character. Here's the thing. This is really going to be not popular in our world today. But we're affected by our environment more than we want to admit. We are affected by what we see, what we watch, what we listen to, what we hear. And it has nothing to do with sin. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. And so if what I'm watching, is it drawing me closer to an encounter with God? Or is it building a wall between me and God? And if it's something that he died to free me from, chances are it's not drawing me into an encounter with him. 
Moving on. But some of us are more emotionally engaged with our favorite television show than we are with the real injustice of our day. We're more moved by what happened to so-and-so on this show than what is happening to people being sex trafficked in America right now. We're more emotionally up and down over what happens to our favorite sports team than we are anything that moves the heart of God. And all that is, is it shows that there's a lack of the fear of the Lord. It's an invitation to come. We have been deceived into thinking that the fear of the Lord is restrictive. (laughs) And so we've created a doctrine at the base of the mountain that appeases our conscience. One last scripture that I want to share with you and then we're going to close. Here in your presence is the song that we're going to sing today because it, it really helps to communicate what we need to be doing in our lives, living in his presence. Exodus chapter 33, when God has already said, you know what, I'm done with these people. They made a calf. You know, I'm just tired. And if I go with you to the promised land, I might destroy you on the way. And I don't want that to happen. So you just go. I'm going to send an angel. And Moses says, do not send an angel with us. And look what Moses says. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. God just said, you can go to the promised land. You can have the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll, get, I'll, I'll drive out the inhabitants. I'll do it all. God didn't make that plea to the people of Israel because they would have taken it. But he knew he could say that to Moses because Moses says, I want your presence and I'll stay at the foot of this mountain. I'll stay on this mountain for the rest of my life if that's what it takes to be in your presence. There's an invitation that's going out today to come. I want you to stand with me. And I know that we're closely nearing the time that it's time to go. And so I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then if you need to be dismissed, you can feel free to be dismissed. But we're going to sing one last song together. And I want to encourage you to engage your heart with it. If this is the only moment that you're in his presence for this week, it's not going to work. I mean, it's not just like we go in and out. But if you hear the the voice of the Lord today saying, you know what, I want you to grow in the fear of the Lord. All you got to do is respond to him today. You may have an emotional moment. You may not have any emotion at all. It doesn't matter. What you're doing is you're hearing the word of the Lord and you're responding to it. And if you hear him in that invitation saying, come, come and seek me, come and press into me. Take just a few minutes, as much as you can, and linger in my presence and let me encounter you in a fresh way today, then I want to encourage you to do that. And so, Father, I pray that today that every word that I've spoken from my own heart, God, that would fall off of everyone's ears today. But God, the words that you have spoken, the invitation that you have made in your word to draw us near, to come up here. God, the same way that you called Moses to come up that mountain. God, may we press in to know you today. God, if we see the lack of the fear of the Lord in our lives, help us not to be just overwhelmed by it. God, help us not to be condemned by it. Help us to press into you today. God, help us to hear that invitation, to hear that call, and to come near to where you are. God, you promise that if we draw near to you, that you're going to draw near to us 
us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would begin to draw people to yourself. That you begin to draw us into that intimate place, that intimate encounter where the fear of the Lord begins to grow in our lives in a greater way. No more excuses. God, no more laziness and apathy in our lives. We want it to fall off. God, we want you to come like a consuming fire today and to begin to burn up the areas of our lives that need to be burned up. God, we don't want to just go through the motions of religiosity. God, we want to know you intimately. We want you to flow out of our lives. We want to go from one level of glory to another. God, we want to be living in your presence when we sense you and even when we don't sense you. God, we want to live in the residue of that. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives over these moments. I pray that every person in this room would have an encounter with you before they leave this room today. We pray it in Jesus' name. These altars are open. If you want to come and kneel at one of these seats, if you want to sit at this pew, but I encourage you to step out and take at least just a few moments and begin to encounter his presence, begin to worship him, begin to set everything else aside and just press into him for a few moments to Here it is. 